Alright, here we go. Take one. <laughs> Now, before I introduce my guest today, I want to remind everybody that this podcast is joined up with Building Beyond Me, which is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that has a mission to believe in being better. We're standing together and we're learning forever with your community. We're the helpers and the helped. We're the created and we're the creators. We're the individuals and the community. We are the friends and we're the strangers and we are the miracles and the miracle makers. And we're building beyond me. Now, I believe in my guest today who has grappled with the grips of substance abuse and he paid the price for those choices landing himself in prison. Now, he has such a passion today for what he has accomplished and I'm so honored to have him on my show today. He went from prison to a solid member of our society. And he's breaking that stigma as being a waste and a burden to our society. Please stay tuned for my guest today. And his name is Kenneth Carter III. And he's gonna share his story of pain and suffering that led to his success. Hey, welcome back to High Wall Clean. My name is Eric McCoy. You know, the pain that we gain from substance abuse can be defined as traumatic or it could be a nightmare. But we could also say maybe it's a blessing in disguise. You know, as I've interviewed a lot of different people on this show, the one commonality that we have all seen is that great things have come from pain through my guests. We can do anything we want if we're willing to fight for things. And my guest today is another example of someone who has seen the ugly side of that lifestyle, but he's stepped up and he's walked those long miles to a success. My friend, Kenneth Carter III, and even though we have never personally met, he's my brother in arms and he's here to present that great fight that he fought. This podcast, you know, for me has been a tremendous blessing and I've gained a lot of new friends from people all over this country. And again, ones that I've never actually met. But before I bring them on, I want to share a poem real quick that I wrote. And it begins chapter 16 of Pain, Failure and Misery are the Stepping Stones to Success. And for anybody that's read it, I began all chapters except one with a poem. And it was to present the premise of that chapter with creativity. And I believe that this is a great intro to Kenneth. You have the power to decide your fate. Time is of the essence, so don't be late. Pain is your lesson and is a promise to be while misery is a choice, so let yourself free. Anger will get you to wanna give up. I'll show you, I swear, 
will sadly erupt. Why would you do this? Not sure what you gain? You're hurting yourself and causing the pain. Nixon was the one who declared war on drugs. Is heroin or meth an alive, violent thug? It isn't the drug that's the enemy or abuser. We are at war with our sick and often dying user. Think of your thoughts. Are they moving you forward? Or are they creating a world that's backing you in a corner? Once I decide that I can't stay clean, I'm destined to relapse and return to the scene. Pain is your friend, although it might sound strange. It gives us a sign when we fall out of range. How would you know if you stepped on a nail unless pain gave a warning and caused you to wail? Emotional pain seems harder to tolerate. It's hurt and fear that's so hard to compensate. Why do we numb those gifts of emotions? You will lose happiness in the deepest of oceans. The next lines are yours, so give this a try. Just jot down your pain in a song or a rhyme. Give it a twist with a positive spin. We're trying to turn your pain to a win. Kenneth, I want to thank you for coming and sharing your win today. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. Thank you. Thank you for that. I love that poem. And uh, <laughs> it actually touched pretty much what I've been through and what I'm living each day. You know, so your message today, I believe, is going to inspire and give hope to those that may feel lost. And I want to begin with your pain, if that's okay. Oh, of course. Before we set the stage for your success. Now, so you obviously had a substance abuse problem. Correct. And it was cocaine, from my understanding, right? Yes. Yeah, started with liquor. <laughs> started with liquor. <laughs> I think it all starts with liquor. <laughs> so what happened? I used to drink a lot. My drinking was pretty much like a... I think like everyone starts the weekends, partying, hanging out, had a full-time job. And then from the weekends turned to, you know what? I could do Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And then of course, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday turns. And next thing you know, you're doing it five, six days a week. Um, while I was drinking a lot, I was missing work or calling off later, wasn't performing well. And um, I just started to call off work more and more. And um, I was introduced to Coke from uh, a neighbor he was like, listen, man, if you, you know, you can take a few bumps of this and it'll sober you up. And I'm like, well, that sounds like a miracle since I'm always drunk. And um, I just, I, I started it, took a few hits of it, like 20 bucks worth real small. And it was, and it sobered me up and it ran out. And I was like, I got to find more. I got to find more. This is, this is what I've been looking for. Something that can keep me sober, but allow me to continue to drink. How, and, um, how old were you? Oh, 26, about 26. So you, so you kind of started a little later in life. <laughs> Very late. Right? Yes, yes. Okay. Um, I drove trucks. Well, I still drive trucks, but um, drive trucks. So he wasn't really into the drugs at all, you know, with the random drug tests and things like that. And it got to the point where the job didn't matter, the drinking mattered, and the drinking mattered to the point where I can do a drug that'll help me sober up. And um, I couldn't find any any Coke after that night and I was searching like crazy. I felt like I was just in the attic instantly. And um, I, you know, I said, you know what, if, if I wanted it that bad, I'm sure that other people wanted it that bad. And I started selling it. 
like instantly, like immediately after doing it, I was like, you know what? I can sell this. And that's where the problem started. Supplying your habit. You got to supply your own habit, right? Right. Exactly. And then you have, you have an abundance of it and you can justify, well, I made X amount of dollars so I can do X amount of product. And, um, you know, the, the, per, the people I was selling to wasn't, they didn't have the problem. They could do it on the weekends and go home. And I continued to do it. And I, every day, then turn to six days a week, one day to recover on my Mondays. And next thing you know, I'm in the clubs every day. I'm partying every day. And it's just, now it's a way of life. And it, it, it took me down a dark road. So when you were younger then, so prior to 28 years old, um, what was going on with you in your earlier days? <clears throat> That's the problem. There weren't any goals. There weren't any uh, visions of the future. It was a live day by day. Um, I worked for like bigger companies. Um, I've always drove trucks. I was in the military. So at that time, before I realized it, I feel like, oh, you know, I can do whatever I want. I can get whatever I want and I can accomplish anything I want to. And that led me to hitting that, that, uh, that road, that dead end. So you were in the military then. So you were, what branch were you in? I in the army. You're in the army. Okay. So you, when you were 18, you joined or? Yes. Right out of high school. And you were in there for four years? Uh, three. I did three years. Three years. Okay. Yeah. So that explains your delayed use a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> <laughs> delayed use. Yeah. And that and driving trucks, because I started driving trucks in the military. So, and I played football in high school, so I wasn't into the drugs then. And so just kind of, I guess it just died down, the the passion and the drive to play sports and to be bigger and better, which I don't know where or when it left, but it did. And slowly but surely it deteriorated me. So the trucking industry has always been known for like methamphetamine, you know, people obviously wanting to get places quicker, faster, longer, they drive longer hours. Is, is that a, is that something that you normally see? I've never seen it. Actually, I've never seen Coke before I started, before I did it the first time. I've never been around people like that, uh, like any users. Um, I, marijuana use was very uh, slim every once in the blue moon, uh, I guess recreational. So I was never, I don't even know about the drug industry, which kind of led me to my demise because I, was very oblivious to the loss of it. Yeah. You know, as far as the, uh, the trucking industry, so you've never really seen that. I haven't seen it, but I have read about it a lot about actually it was a guy who just killed six or seven people on a bicycle and he was, uh, like double the legal limit on meth. So you do see that, you know, in the trucking industry because of the cocaine and meth keeping you up, you can drive longer yeah. and, you know, kind of, the faster I finish this job or the longer I can drive, the faster I can get money and get home to my family or whatever, you know, whatever their motivations are. But yeah, so it's definitely uh, relevant in this industry. Yeah. So then you, um, you got arrested. So what right. was the, what was the situation with that? What happened? Okay. So uh, I was selling Coke in the clubs for five years. I mean, nonstop. And so I started meeting a lot of different people and I met a so-called friend and I eventually started selling to him and he wanted me to sell to his friend. And it was pretty much all the setup and I ended up selling to his friend, which was an undercover officer. And uh, I went down right then. How much did you get arrested for? I mean, how much did you have on you? I had an ounce. 
but I made one sale prior to that to that same guy with the friend. So um, I had that one ounce and then I had the second ounce. And when they got the second ounce, it was kind of like, okay, we can get him now. So they charged you for two separate offenses? Yes. They charged me for two separate offenses. Um, gave me a plea deal to drop one off. So I had a selling delivery and um, uh, trafficking cocaine on two different counts. They dropped those two counts off. But at the time I was uh, on paper facing 90 years. 90? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> what? You know, clean record. Never been in, in trouble other than some like driving a suspended license or something. But uh, 90 years because in Florida, each trafficking is 30 years and each selling delivery is 15. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty extreme. <laughs> it is. You know, and these are... So years ago, I had a I had a program here in Cal. So I'm in California, and I had a program in Anaheim called uh, Serenity Life Counseling, and we did alternative sentencing, and that was that was a big thing for me was you know being a six time convicted felon myself, and working to, you know, working with the court system, and that was pretty amazing in and of itself. But I actually uh, became friends with judges, and I became friends with some of the DAs in Orange County, you know. It's interesting how you kind of flip sides. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and uh, and I'm trying. I'm actually trying to get one of the judges on my podcast, um, Judge Bromberg. He's an amazing guy here in Orange, you know, over in Orange County. And uh, and we used to talk about that a lot because you know the problem, and and the sad part about it is sending people to prison that are selling drugs, but they're doing it specifically for their own habit and to support their own habit. You know, I mean, you've got the differences between the, you know, people that are just making the drugs and selling it, not doing it. And they're just doing it strictly for profit. But when you have somebody that's a drug addict um, that is working to, um, you know, sell drugs to support their own habit, is that something that Florida looked at at all? No, but I'm um, looking back on it. It's going to be hard to differentiate a user from a, a seller. Cause I feel like at the end of the day, all dealers are, they're doing some drug. I mean, I'm, I, I don't know for a fact, but we're supplying some type of high for ourselves. Even if it's not our own product, we're still purchasing other products. Yeah. So, yeah, this has been a big fight with me. And this is something that, you know, when I'm like this podcast, I try to, you know, fight the stigma of substance abuse and, you know, really look at examples like that. Um, and I'm also a big fan of legalizing drugs because I think that the legality of the drugs causes more harm than, you know, the drugs themselves. Right. And, um, you know, the murders and all that kind of stuff that go along with that. And it, it really doesn't have anything to do with other than the fact that it's illegal because, black market, huge, you know, obviously, I mean, you were probably making good money. I yes. mean, other than you were probably doing some of your profit, obviously up your nose, but. <laughs> <laughs> I was, but the, the problem was I was justifying it. I was making so much money that the little bit I was doing, you get to a certain level where you're buying so much at and, and wholesale that you can say, oh, well, you know, this is nothing. I, I can make this, I can use this part here because I'm making so much money on this end. Which is which is the bad part? Yeah. Did you kind of get that like kingpin feeling as you yeah. were doing all this stuff? 
That's actually what they when they arrested me. They said, "Well, we we heard you're a kingpin." I'm like, nowhere near a kingpin, but uh, I I did have the perks, I, I guess you could say, of uh, living the the big life. It was it was big in the, in those eyes. Now yeah. I look at it and I laugh like, what was I thinking? Yeah, I mean it's insane. You know when we when we look at, I mean the risks that we're taking. You know oh, for, yeah. for for what you know, uh, <laughs> right. And I don't, I mean, and honestly, to tell you the truth, I don't know many people that are able to live that life and to do it for years and years and years. Eventually, eventually they get busted. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't last forever. And there are some lucky ones that get out. Um, I, I feel like I'm, I'm happy I didn't get out because I feel like if I did get out and never got caught, um, it actually happened where I stopped, I stopped completely. And I got calls again and I started doing it here and there. So I wasn't even actively selling when I was caught. But that's the problem. You just kind of here and there. I'll do it every once in a while. I need a couple hundred bucks. Let me go do it. Yeah. So when you were saying they, you know, some got got away, got out or away with it and that kind of stuff. What do you mean by that? Like some people, they they actually just stop. You know, they feel like, okay, you know what? I've had enough. Or, you know, they, they ha- I, I guess it's crazy to say but they have goals or they have some kind of some vision of let me make this x amount of dollars and get out or something happens in their life they meet the special person that doesn't want them around it so I, but it's very rare that it happens because at the end of the day the addict is the dealer um i was addicted to money the drug wasn't really the problem it was the money and it just continued to make the money so you continue making more money so you continue to get high yep. and so you just it's a battle and money is unlimited. So really, you just make money until you die over some overdose or something. Shot, get shot or something. I'm, I'm thankful and very grateful that um, I didn't live that type of life. I was never the type of person that carried guns or anything because I would have got 30 years automatic with if I had a gun on me, yeah. armed trafficking. But uh, I was never like that. I was always the party type. So I'm hanging around with the people who's doing it. I'm doing it with them. And so I felt like I was part of the clique in the in the sense, but uh, being part of that clique is really just gonna mess you up, yeah. Because uh, you're the only one that goes down at the end. Yeah, it sounds like Florida um, is pretty strict on all that stuff, you know. Oh yeah, I mean Cal- California, it, it definitely is also, but you know California has actually, I guess you could call it almost decriminalized drugs because uh, now all possessions are misdemeanors. So possession of heroin, possession of meth, coke, all that stuff are misdemeanors now. Oh, wow. They used to be felonies. Of course, back when I was running around, they were all felonies. Now, sales is a different story. Okay. Uh, sales sales charges are different. My, I got a really good friend of mine who caught two back-to-back sales charges, and he's um, in prison. He's, he got 10 years, eight months. Um, but he also had a prior strike. So he had, you know... You know, California's got that three strike law. And so he had a back in 99, I think he had a strong arm robbery. Um, and so they tacked that on, you know, prior prison term, you know, this kind of stuff. And so that's what he ended up with, you know. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm no more strikes for me. I'm a uh, scare straight. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. And Florida has the strike thing too? Yes, they do. Like uh, first time trafficking is uh, three years, the second time is seven, and the third time is 15. For the even if it's the exact same charge. Okay. Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. California, they're regarding violent offenses. Oh, yes. They do have that too. 
the three strike violent the violent crimes. Yeah, then you get a life sentence. Yep. That's I can't even imagine that. So what what I want to hear I'm very interested in is so so you get three years, you got three years, you said? Yes, sir. And so you you hit hit the prison. What's going on in your head? <sighs> I don't know I'm there yet. I'm just I'm distraught. I'm kind of from the five years prior to hitting the prison, I was never really in my mind. So I, everything was just kind of going by the motion. It took me months to realize, you know, that um, I was in prison. Take a look in the mirror one day and I say, you know what? Wow, this is you and you're in prison. And that's when everything had to change. But before it's kind of like you just go through the motion. I guess it's a shock. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's. <laughs> The whole lockdown thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, okay, so you're in prison, and um, and then obviously you started working on yourself. Yes. As soon as I realized that I was in prison, months later, I said, you know what, I have to get to this library. I have to read some books, and I have to understand what's going on. And so before I wanted to do anything, I needed to understand who I was. So I went and got self-help books and read every self-help book that was in that library, read every one. Jot, took notes, found out my, the thing that I highlight is um, I identified my weaknesses, realized, you know, I have a lot of weaknesses, especially living at a kingpin life. You know, you're the biggest, baddest, got the most money. <laughs> that's definitely going to hurt your ego when, uh, when, you're, when all that's taken away. But uh, I realized, you no, know, I wasn't there for people. I was there for myself uh, as far as uh, support. I was just looking out for myself, really. And I have kids, didn't think about the kids when I was doing it. Um, I mean, even to the point where I'm like taking my youngest daughter out, go-kart riding and stuff, and uh, I'm drinking and, and doing coke in the bathroom. So uh, it was, I was lost. I was really lost. And um, so reading those self-help books really got me to understand who I was or who I wasn't. And that's how, I, that's how my journey continued to unfold into a better person. Yeah, that's where I, I think a lot of people don't really understand the addiction part to it. You know, I mean, we do drugs, methamphetamine, you know, is my drug of choice. And, you know, I put that in my system and it's Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. You know, I, I mean, it literally takes over my midbrain, which is the survival part of my brain. And it shuts down all of my thinking, my, my cognitive thought process. I had a very similar story and kind of what you were saying is, you know, I lived that life too, you know, selling drugs, making the money. Of course, I had a lot of crimes that, you know, were that I committed also. Um, but, you know, you really get it just, it, it takes a hold of you. Um, all your values, all your morals, everything goes out the window. You got kids and you're like, I'm not even thinking about my kids. All I'm thinking about is this. Right. Um, and and that's the scary part about it. And the sad part about, you know, the, the drug use um, is we don't really think about who are we harming? What are, who are all the people that we're hurting by doing this? Yeah. And you don't even look at it. Like you said, you don't even care about it. So it's about where can I get my next fix? Yep. Yep. That, that whole, uh, the, the things that are normally important to us when we're clean and sober, they all go by the wayside when we're using Oh, yeah. Even if you're doing things that's, that should make you happy and excited, you're not getting those levels until you have that drug again. And that's that's 
that's one of the things I identified when I went in and I started realizing uh, my issues or my weaknesses, I should say. And that's when I realized like, I wasn't even happy when I should have been happy. Yeah. Fortunately, I had time to understand that and I can come back out and rekindle that with my daughters. So that was, that was definitely an opportunity that um, I'm very grateful for. Now, since you obviously studied who you were and tried to figure out who you are, who are you? Well, first of all, I'm an assertive person. Uh, I was not assertive at all. I was a people pleaser and I was looking out for other people, even though I wasn't caring about other people. I, I know that sounds contradicting, but uh, I'm confident now and I know I have a, a vision and I know I have potential. At one point, I didn't have potential. I didn't have a vision. I just kind of did what people wanted me to do to please everyone. And uh, I'm empathetic now. <laughs> I didn't have empathy at all. Now I try to understand people more of a professional person, reliability. That's, that's one that's big for me. And I actually care and being honest. It's, it's interesting when you look at, you were saying like when you were younger and you were a kid, you had no goals, you had no dreams, you had no vision, you had no anything. And then you got into drugs and then you got arrested. And then all of a sudden you have goals and dreams and visions and things like that, you know? Yeah. Which goes back to that whole concept that the pain in our life and the things that we experience in our life that may be hurt, hurt, very hurtful and horrible while we're going through it, all of a sudden slaps us in the face and it grabs you by the neck, you know, <laughs> and says, all right, you need to do something now. Right. And, and I think that's the beautiful part about this, you know. I mean, people, you know, can always say too, like, do you regret your your drug use, do, do I, re, you know, would you do it differently next time? Probably not. No, <laughs> I wouldn't. I, you know, I tell my brother that all the time. He, I was like, you know what? The best thing that happened to me was going to prison. He's like, you can't, you can't really believe that. I'm like, yes, you don't understand. It is. That's the best thing that happened to me. I'm a whole new person. Or I, I shouldn't say new. I'm improved. Yeah. And back to who I used to be. And you no longer define yourself by, I'm a drug user or I'm a drug addict or I'm a dealer, or I'm, you know, this kind of stuff. Now you're defining yourself by who you are, who you actually are, because we lose ourselves yeah. and who you make yourself to be. You can become, you can be whoever you want to be, but being a drug user, you're just in that, that bubble with everyone else that is a drug user. And, and that was another thing too, with the prison, I was being treated very poorly, but I had to start looking at it. It's like, well, I'm wearing the same uniform as everyone else in here. And whatever crime they did, I'm just, I'm under that same roof. And so I started to realize, you know, you can't be mad at people. First of all, you can't be mad where you're at. You can't be mad how you got there. They keep, you can't be mad at how you're treated while you're there. It's that looking on the other end, like, okay, I'm going to get over this. And I'm going to make sure that I'm never treated this way again. I'm never in a place like that. And I never will do anything like this. The people that blame everybody when they're in there, they're the ones that are going to go back again. Recidivism, one hundred percent. Until you can, until you can say, you know what, I'm here because of me. I did this. Yeah, I'm responsible. That's where the healing comes in. Yeah, exactly. And you have to. You, I, I got a thing I call own it and divorce it. That I was like, you know what, I gotta own this because I'm trying to run from it, or hide it, and and blaming someone else that I was set up. You know that that won't do anything for me. Because I couldn't never been set up if I didn't do what I did. 
So my part, I had to play my part. <laughs> that's the only way it worked. So I owned that and I divorced that and say, you know what? I did it. That's who I was. That's not who I am now. Let's move forward. Yeah. I had, you know, I was arrested four times in six months in 2001. One of, one of them, I was, uh, I had weed planted on me so they could search my car. Um, I was raided by the narcotics task force. They had no search warrant, right? Took all my stuff. Um, and could I have sat there and just blamed them? And, you know, just like you were saying, it's like, you know, I would not have been in jail or in custody or any of that kind of stuff unless I was living that life that I was living. Right. You know, even though, sure, they did violate laws by what they were doing. Uh, but number one, I mean, there would have been no point in fighting it because it wouldn't have mattered. But on the second side, I, I literally, I remember sitting there and once I took responsibility, once I said, you know what, I'm here because of me, I did this. That's, a, that's when all of a sudden I felt free. Right. I had more freedom than I'd felt probably in most of my life. And I was sitting in custody. Wow. And it, and it taught me one, taught me one thing. And that was that freedom does not come from anything external. It all comes from within. It's internal. It definitely is. And that's when I started laughing. I started like feeling better, you know, yeah. I started, uh, you know, um, I, I came to this realization, you know what, I'm here. This is the way it is. This is reality. And I'm going to deal with it. And I'm going to, I'm going to get, and I did exactly what you did. I got books and I studied and I read and I removed myself from the other people. Oh yeah. You have to, you know, yeah. that was a big thing. I was the guy that was like sitting off in a corner somewhere. <laughs> I would have been over there with you did. Cause that was exactly what I was doing. <laughs> I was the, the nerd of the prison. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you got you, know, you got along in there, okay? Uh yes. I mean, for the most part, I just I studied and read books. And those people who were more positive and wanted to do something with themselves and understood that they put themselves in there, they gravitated towards me. And um, I had a few people that wanted to fight, but I, I I'm pretty smart. I could talk my way out of that. It's like I'm trying to get out of here. I'm not here to. To live this lifestyle. But, you know, back what you were saying with the, uh, you know, you took accountability and that's when you finally became free. You have so many people in there, so many men that are going to the law library to study the law, to try to get their sentence overturned when they'll be out in two or three years. Get yourself right and learn something about yourself because, like you said, you want, you're not going to win. You're wasting time. It's taking you two years to try to fight this charge to go back. And even if you do win, what happens? You're back in the same lifestyle because you're the exact same person you were when you walked in there. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. So you took the pain, you learned from it, and you got out. How long did you get out? Uh, stop counting. <laughs> um, October 17th, 2019. Okay. So it's uh, about a year and a half. About a year and a half. Okay. Yeah. Now, and, uh, <laughs> now we get to the exciting part, right? Um, so you got out, and um, what did you have when you got out? Do you have family that's still there? Do they support you? Do you? Uh, what, what did you have when you got out? I've had my family was there. They visit me all the time. My girlfriend was there when I got out. She uh she stuck there with me the whole time. Uh, I definitely my support was uh, something big. And just to get back on that for a second, 
a lot of people that's in there are mad because you have that support. Oh, you wouldn't be as positive if you didn't have support. You wouldn't be reading these books if you didn't have that support. Because once again, they're looking for that external. But it was internal first. And I know if I would have came in with that attitude of like, screw you, F this, then I wouldn't have that support. You know, they would have been like, okay, this guy has to learn his lesson. So like you said, it's internal first. But I did have good family support. Yeah, that support, I'm sure, definitely kept you somewhat positive. I mean, you definitely had a little bit, you know, there there are sadly, you know, a lot of people in prison that don't have that, you know, um, yeah. that, you know, they're, they're, you know, my friend that I'd mentioned, you know, um, his wife packed up, left with their kids, they moved to Texas. Um, you know, he's, he's up in Corcoran here in California, and he's got nobody, you know, oh, that's rough. And uh Except me. I mean, I, you know, I've been, I, I shoot him money all the time so he can get money on his books and, you know, we communicate and things like that. Um, but, but he'll be all right when he gets out, you know, he, yeah. he, he's a fighter and he knows how to do it, you know? Um, but uh, yeah, that support is huge, you know? Oh yeah. My mom visited me. I don't know how many times <laughs> she got to the point where I was like, listen, you don't have to come. <laughs> just stop showing up because uh, I after being transferred so many times, she's driving two or three hours away to come see me, you know, for a few hours. And I was like, I felt guilty. I really did. Because it's like, let me just do this. Let me just do my time. It's let me get that spanking and, and learn from it. You know. So when you were doing all the drugs, back backtrack here for a second. When you're doing all those drugs, um, where was your family? Were they, uh, what was, did they know what was happening? They knew, but they didn't know. I wasn't, I don't like to, I guess, compare myself to others. I wasn't like really, really bad where I was in the streets. Uh, I still was paying bills because of course I was selling it. So everything was pretty normal. You know, um, I wasn't down in the dumps, still happy person. They was there, but they wasn't, I guess, as active. I was too busy living my life. So no one really was around. Okay. Yeah. All right. So now you, so you got out and uh, so what happened when you got out? what did you do? What was your fight? What did you, what did you pursue? This is the exciting part now. Yes. <laughs> oh man. As soon as I jumped out. I was uh I was ready to go. I had my business plans ready. I had three different business plans. Every system you can think of. You probably hear it in my tone how excited I am. Yes, I and I heard yeah. it on the phone when we were when we were talking. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, I had everything. I had stacks of papers. I mean, this thing with every plan. I had my goals, my visions, the things that I was just waiting to get out to do. And uh, I started my business three months after getting out. And uh, I just quit my job. Saturday, yesterday was my last day. I'm going full time in my business now, and uh, <clears throat> it feels good. It feels good. I became a personal trainer, a nutritionist. All while I was getting out, I was in work release for a while, so I was already calling prospects and making sales calls before I even had the business because I knew I knew that my vision was there. Once you have that vision set, it's too easy to just follow it. You know, I use an analogy that I started to understand when I was in was like, you know, I was I was in this brand new car and I was just driving with a full tank of gas, but there was no exit. So by the time I started to run out of gas and I hit an exit, it was the wrong exit. 
So it doesn't matter how much money I had in my pocket or what type of car I had. If I didn't have a way, uh, any kind of direction, then it didn't matter what I had in my pocket. And um, I made sure that when I got out that I knew the exit and I knew where I needed to get off at. What is your business? I'm a freight broker. So we, uh, we manage transportation needs and uh, logistics for shipping companies. We, uh, we pretty much, we find and source the carriers, contact the, the shippers, which is our customers, and we link those two together. So uh, I'm a professional middleman now, legal. Legal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, what pushed you to want to do that? <clears throat> Being in the trucking industry since uh, 2001, uh, right out of high school, I was a truck driver in the military. And um, before I went in, I went into prison. I never thought about working for myself or anything. But uh, once I got in, I started hearing the war stories of, oh, you're a felon, you'll never get a job. And I, well, I'll make sure I don't have to get a job and I'll create my own job. And so I created my own business so I don't have to give myself a background check. And that's the message right there, because that is something that so many people think, you know, I'm a, I'm a convicted felon. Nobody's going to hire me. Who's going to hire me, you know, um, you know, for anything, like who's going to trust me ever again. And, uh, and that's the message right there, you know, is that again, no matter where you've been or what you've done, you can do anything you want if you're willing to fight for it. And I think that's the key is you got to be willing to fight for it because so many people, and even in what you had sort of talked about was that, you know, okay, I can set goals. I can set dreams. I can set a direction. I can have my business plans. Right. But they'll hit a wall and then they just right. give up, you know, cause they're looking for someone else to support them. You, you build, you build it, you build it. And if they don't support you, they move out the way, but you got to believe it in yourself first. You do. You got to firmly believe that I can do this. I will do this. I will. <laughs> right. I will do this. And there's no excuses. There's no, there's no excuses. There's no reasons why I can't. And there's nothing that's going to stop me from doing it. And sometimes you have to be creative, you know, and sometimes you have to, you know, kind of twist things a little bit to figure out, um, you know, what's going to work. I mean, we then we twist things while we were selling drugs and doing drugs. We found ways to get this and find ways to get that. Well, you keep that same drive. Just do it the right way and find a way to make it happen. I love that, man. You know, we can use the same skills that we had out on the streets, <laughs> you know, running amok and doing all that stuff. We can use those same creative skills to do right. something good. Yes, that's it. It's just, we, I mean, you think about all the times you've, you've uh, avoided uh, cops or, you know, you got out of this situation or you found ways to make money to get that, that, uh, that next fix. And it's like, you know what, I'm going to take that and I'm going to find a way to uh, get the funds to secure my business. <laughs> yeah, I was always going to figure out where to get dope. <laughs> and I exactly. Always, I always did. Without a plan, you just figured it out as, figured as, it, it, out. as it came. <laughs> so, so why can't you can we, do with a plan? Yeah, so why can't we do that in a different life? You know? Yeah, it's, it's like uh, similar to sex transmutation, which is saying you pretty much use the same drive to find sex how we do. You take that same drive and that motivation and you put it towards something else. So it's pretty much the same thing, you know, convert that to something positive. So you're a, so you're a, now a business owner. You're a yes. nutritionist, you said? Yes, sir. 
and a uh, personal trainer. Personal trainer. Which all came from being in prison. Just working out and realizing that working out makes me feel good. And um, since March 31st, 2017, I've been sober. Because, I mean, I I was drinking before I went in the same day. But, uh, I mean, that same night. But I haven't drunk anything since then. haven't done any drugs. And I started working out. And I felt so much better. So I wanted to help other people. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to become a personal trainer. Which I was doing that in work release. Were you out on bail when you were, when you uh, finally got sentenced? Oh yeah, for a year and a half. Okay, so you were fighting the case for a year and a half. Well, yeah, but I wouldn't call it fighting. <laughs> I was just kind of doing the same thing again. Uh, I, I knew it was a mandatory sentence, so I didn't. I knew I was going no matter what. So instead of getting myself together, then I didn't. Like I was telling you earlier, it was like if I didn't go to prison, I probably would have still been doing the same thing here and there. So being out a year and a half, it still didn't fix my life. So you were um, you were out on bail and you were still selling dope and doing all that stuff? Yep, like nothing happened. You had a problem. <laughs> a big problem. <laughs> That's why I told you I'm grateful for the, the sentence. I'm grateful for that because I wouldn't learn my lesson. And you're lucky you didn't catch any new cases. Oh, I know. That would have been ugly. But you know what? In my mind, I was so smart that I wouldn't get caught, although I just got caught. <laughs> <laughs> what you said, something about the middle of the brain. Yep. What's that? <laughs> what you were saying about the middle of the brain. Yeah, the midbrain. So that's where, um, you know, that's where our pleasure center is. So our pleasure center is in the mid part of the brain. And, and, and the midbrain is our survival part of the brain. That's, and that's the whole concept of um, addiction. You know, that, that when we do something that gives us pleasure, we naturally want to keep doing it. And it's, it's designed as a survival part of the brain. You know, you eat food, you get a release of dopamine. That's a neurotransmitter. You drink water when you're thirsty, you get a release of dopamine. Um, those are two survival things that reinforce us the desire to eat. Uh, you have sex. It keeps our species, you know, with more kids. <laughs> um, and so that's the part of the brain that we're manipulating, you know, is that we're doing and that becomes survival. So in our minds, we start thinking, oh, my God, you know, this is I'm going to die if I don't do the drugs. You know, for me, I mean, who who in their right mind is going to get arrested post bail, keep doing what they're doing, get arrested post bail, keep doing <laughs> what they're doing, get arrested post bail, you know, and uh, I mean, just accumulating, you know, all these this bail, you know. I mean, right. who in the right mind would do something like that? And that's, uh, that's the thing. We're not in the right mind. No. And that's, you know, I mean, the, you know, and I, for me, you know, it was, again, it was methamphetamine and I was an IV drug user. And so I was, you know, Simon, you know, over an eight ball a day. Um, and it was such a part of me. I mean, I, when I'd get arrested, you know, I'd even have the mentality to be high when I'd get arrested. And I'm like, all right, cool. I'm just going to stay in. No big deal. You know, I'll handle this. I'll stay in jail. And then it starts going out of my system and that craving kicks in, you know, and the craving kicks in so strong that, you know, I'm, I'm getting out. I got to get out. I got to get high, you know, and that was everything that happened, you know? Um, and so even after the fourth arrest for me, um, you know, I'd, I'd like to be able to say, yeah, you know, I, I just 
you know, it was like, okay, I'm committed. I'm going to stay and all that kind of stuff. No, it's not the way it was. Um, but I owed my bail company too much money that they weren't going to bail me out with anything down. I called my dad to see if he'd help me. And he's like, no, you know what? I'm, I, I'm glad you're there. At least I know you're safe, you know? And, uh, and so like I had to, you know, deal with that, those cravings and cravings and cravings, that freedom that I felt did not come for until I'd been in there probably at least a month and a half, two months, maybe three months, you know, being in there um, that I finally felt a little bit more of that freedom. Um, once my head was able to sort of think, yeah, <laughs> and I couldn't even read a book. I remember being in there, like I'd have a book, you know, at first and I, you know, I could read an entire page and, and I couldn't remember any of it. Oh, wow. I mean, none of it like stuck in my head. And so I'd have to read it again. And then it, you know, and it just, it was, it was very confusing in those times. The great thing is we can stop doing the drug and overcome that and become better people and yeah. start to memorize and learn and create wonderful things. Absolutely. Like this podcast, you know, you can bring people on and they can talk about their stories. You couldn't, I'm pretty sure this wasn't even in your uh, thought patterns when, uh, while you were getting high. Hell no, I didn't even know what a podcast was. <laughs> 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 Absolutely, man. It's a, uh... You know, and that's the cool thing. I mean, we all, you know, we get out and we, you know, we, we, I mean, you know, you know, success is obviously subjective, you know, in terms of whatever that means to you. Um, and I, you know, I, and I always want people to understand that, that, you know, success doesn't necessarily mean lots of money or, or, you know, success doesn't mean, you know, it's, it's different to different people and whatever that means to you, you know, can be success. And, um, you know, and so, and I, I ended up at some point in time, I mean, for me, it was like, I just wanted to be happy. You know, that was, that was my thing was like, I just wanted to be happy. I just wanted to feel like I had something to give, you know, um, that I, you know, um, that I could learn to love myself, care about myself, you know, and then to be able to, I mean, get married, you know, and have, you know, and so these are like successes for me, you know, um, and, and that's something that I, again, I think is important for people to understand that, you know, it, it's very subjective, whatever it means to you, that's, that's your success, you know, um, and uh, I love your story, man. I think you have such a great story. I think it's a powerful story. Um, and it's, and it's great to see, you know, that you are, um, determined to and committed to making the goals and the things that you've set forth. I mean, and you've done it now. I mean, how ironic is it? Today was your last day you said at work? Uh, yesterday. So today's my first official day. I'm not going to work for someone. What a great day to do this podcast. <laughs> it's perfect. You were supposed to do it yesterday, but today, today's even better, right? Hell, I couldn't do it yesterday because of work. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it got to the point where I was feeling, uh, I had a lot of anxiety going to work. I mean, stress, very stressed out. And it's not the job. It's just, I couldn't do what I wanted to do. And I had this dream that I've been working on since I went in. And um, I got to the point where I, sometimes I feel like I was going to cry just driving to work. And that's when I said, you know, I can't do this. It's not good for my health. You know, just, I've, I've been locked up before, obviously, 
but this feels like the same thing. The only difference is I'm driving to get locked up every day and I, I'm getting some money for it. And though I was addicted to money so much before, I'm taking a 100% pay cut right now because it's not about the money. It's that true happiness, like you said you were searching for, and that true happiness is here. Yep, and you and you hit it right on freedom, right? It, it's nothing to do with anything external. You could be out, not in prison, and have no freedom. <laughs> yeah, we're, and we're so many people are tied to that. And I'm not knocking people for having jobs at all, <clears throat> but from for my case, is that wasn't freedom. It was I called it work release. You know, just go there and you're st- <laughs> you're stuck and you but you're doing it for money and you're trying to wait for that right time to get the the right amount of money to go to do the next thing. But uh, prison didn't wait. And so I have that mindset, like nothing waited for me. It was like, all right, you're going now. And so I know how it is to cut all ties from something and lose everything. And so when it was time for me to cut ties from a job and pursue my own goals and dreams, I didn't have any issues with that. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, I always like to say, you know, the, the greatest job that you can have is to have a job that doesn't feel like a job. Right. Yes. That's it. I like that. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's, you know, my life. I love what I do. I mean, I I do teach, I teach at a school for people working to become substance abuse counselors. Um, but it's a, I'm actually a independent contractor, you know, for the school. Um, and uh you know obviously i do this podcast i mean this doesn't make a ton of money or anything like that but you know i have um a lot of different things that i do and uh and i love what i do you know i can't i can't get out and and be i wasn't stressed in there and i come out and i'm stressed it's just that doesn't add up to me yeah and uh i know my potential is not to be working for someone else and being hindered by that that time schedule and those constraints because I can't even grow, man. Um, that that's a bubble to me, you know. Working for someone else, mm-hmm. I love the job. I love driving trucks, but that bubble, I have to expand it, and and be able to have see what my potential is. Now, the business that you have is that something you do at home from home? Yes, sir. That's even better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, from home. Just roll out of bed, and there you are. You're at work. Oh, yeah. I just actually right before our podcast, I created my own schedule because I feel like if I can be on someone else's schedule, I can be on my own. There you go. <laughs> 10 hours a day. I'm going 100 percent, 200 percent, 10 hours a day, five days a week because uh, <clears throat> I was only putting five hours in. So I'm putting 50 hours in. That's a 900 percent increase. So I know, you know, that's what I want for myself. Make sure you take care of yourself, though, too. Oh, I go to the gym. I wake up at 345 in the morning. I go to the gym first um, on a real strict meal schedule and Saturday and Sundays is for me and my fiance and the kids to relax. So I always like to ask everybody um, if you had a message that you wanted to give people out there that may be struggling or suffering, what would that be? It would be to identify your rock bottom, understand what it is. Don't wait for the rock bottom or I should say the perfect rock bottom. Just it's there whatever you see and you feel like you're down, that's it. And you go from there and you go up because you can do whatever you want to do and you can turn to anyone or anything to help inspire you to be better than you are. And it's okay. And just go for the, go for the goal. Strive. Yeah. I like what you said about the, the rock bottom because uh, the ultimate rock bottom is obviously dead. 
So we don't want to, we don't want to go there, you know, so it can be whatever people want to define their bottom as. Right. Um, and it doesn't have to be prison, you know, it doesn't have to be, um, you know, uh, the most horrific thing that you can imagine. Um, you can set other, you know, and just say, okay, you know what, this is it. I'm done. I don't want to go any further down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I learned that from uh, being in a rehab, <clears throat> talking with someone and I was arguing with the guy about being rock bottom, like prison is our rock bottom. He was like, that's not my rock bottom. I'm like, well, how lower can you get? And he explained uh, being so high, he couldn't get up for his kids and they're trying to wake him up. And that was his rock bottom. And I realized, you know, we all do have our own rock bottom. We have to identify that and, and go from there. And don't compare your rock bottom to someone else's because yeah. then you, you really, like you say, you're going to really hit the rock bottom, which is death. And sadly, we're seeing way too much of that right now. We are. The overdose, overdose rates are just tremendous. It's crazy. It's scary. Yes. And you don't even understand what's going on when you're doing it. You're just in that life. And next thing you know, it's over. Yeah. And Florida is, um, are you guys seeing like the huge fentanyl overdose deaths? I mean, all that stuff over there. I don't know what's going on in the drug world anymore. <laughs> I am removed you yourself from it. <laughs> I have removed myself. Um, I started. I went to prison with twenty five hundred phone numbers. I came out with two. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Clean slate. So anyone, anyone, Your family now, and your girlfriend, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, that's it. But uh, it's you. You have to. You got to identify what it is yeah. and move from there. Yeah. And anyone that's in your circle, if they're not there to help you and support you you got to get them out yeah. yes. that's the scariest part being around people who who are telling you what you're doing is okay because they're doing it with you or you're supplying them and they're okay with it yeah. but when you lose everything you have nothing that's who you can see who's really there for you well hey do you, is there anything that you want to say that i ha- that i haven't asked you I'm, I'm working on some uh plans to start some nonprofits to help people that's been down and out and uh definitely want to get with you because I know, like you say, you're teaching counselors. That'd be something great. And I uh, just want to say, you know, as far as my company, uh, my AmeritonFreight.com, it's, you know, what I'm doing 100%. And as far as my fitness goals, I have my uh, ISS uh, certification and my new company, Supply Chain Fit, which I'm trying to help other drivers get over health and wellness issues. There you go. Yeah, so uh, it's all to help. I bet a lot of truck drivers are very unhealthy. Definitely. The, the lifestyle is bad. The lifestyle is similar to partying. You're, you're never home. You're eating bad food. Uh, sleep is bad. You're just sitting all the time. And sitting all the time. Definitely. You know, being a truck driver for 20 years, I know how it is. But it doesn't compare to me being a local driver versus these over-the-road drivers. So I definitely want to get this nonprofit together to help, help everyone out. That's great, man. Yes. And I'm working with a doctor, uh, PhD named Rhonda, who's uh, very helpful. We're doing our own LinkedIn quotes right now for the month for health and wellness. So um, you can definitely look for me on LinkedIn too. Kenneth Carter, the Roman number three. And we try to give back and it's a positive quote every single day to help people overcome those bad things, those bad times or that bad mindset. Hey, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to another episode of High Walk Clean. Keep getting high, but let's do it clean. I'll see you soon. Thanks.